On today's show, the Cavs are going to Paris. Plus, next season, it's not that far away. So let's look ahead. Let's dive in on a new Locked On Cavs. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Evan, do your bit. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. He's back. He's back from places unseen. Um, beautiful, I believe Columbus, Ohio. But he's back, ladies yep. and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, when you go away for a couple of days for work, it feels like a while. And and say, lovey, here we are. And I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Dimmel. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for producing. If you're in Cleveland, hope you didn't get hit in the rain or the thunderstorm because that was gnarly. All right. Fun show today. Uh, we're going to do a little more Summer League stuff tomorrow to, to get us, give you a little Lockdown Cavs Saturday edition. We're going to start with the Cavs. They're going to play a game against the Brooklyn Nets in Paris. So we're going to talk about what other NBA cities, what other cities, excuse me, we would like to, to see an NBA game in. And uh, my list is basically cities I would like to theoretically travel to. And then later in the show, we're going to talk about what we're going to look ahead to next season. Some little things that are going to us juiced as we are you know, seven, seven, eight weeks or so away from training camp opening, which still feels like far away, but not. But Evan, the Cavs are, are playing the Brooklyn Nets in Paris. This will be the second NBA, season, NBA game in Paris. We had the, the Pistons and the Bulls last year. Um, this is cool. I, I got to say, I, I think the idea of them doing this as like one-offs, I think it's really cool. All the behind-the-scenes stuff they had last year looked really fun. I, I'm all for this. And if this is the... If you're the team that gets it right before they, they take Victor Wembanyama to Paris in 2024-2025, that's that's not a bad get, not a bad gig if you can get it. You can get you can go spend a couple of days in, in the city of light. Uh no, I absolutely agree. I think it was in the ether for a little while now. We may have touched on this Leia, a while back. The, yeah, I can't pronounce the name of the paper, but the the a very large French newspaper that specializes in sports coverage broke Wait. this uh a little bit a little bit ago and the nba and the Cavs just took a little bit longer to announce it for whatever reason i mean it's fine you probably have to get everything ready make sure everything logistically is able to line up um you are dealing with international stuff they're more than just national stuff but um i joked at the time i think i called it the timothy lou wow Wu cabaro cup and it can still be that between cleveland and brooklyn but yeah i agree i always think it's fun to see these international games like it was fun when chicago and detroit did it not too long ago um and it's fun to kind of see a team that you and i cover uh take on the uh international stage at least and i mean i was joking with my fiance about this because we're planning on doing our honeymoon like about a month or so after the Cavs go to paris and i jokingly said like hey i may go to france in january it's the same day as her birthday miss her birthday entirely and I'll just link up with you in Italy for our honeymoon in February. Is that cool with you? And I uh, I slept on the couch that evening. But yeah, it's basketball more and more so like is becoming such an international sport. Um, and I think that's a smart way to navigate things business wise, especially just because the NFL is king in the United States. And I don't think it's just really it's just not going to be realistic to like compete with the NFL in terms of just like 
uh, viewership and coverage. So if you expand the game internationally, especially when a lot of your players are at least the faces of the league are international stars, whether it's Luca, Giannis, hopefully Victor Vembignana, um, and plenty of other Victor, guys. Victor, Victor who? Victor who? Vembignana. Wem, Wem Ben Yama. Uh, Chris, the French pronunciation is Vembignana. He goes by Wemby for short. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm saying how the ESPN said it. So here we go. Continue. I, well, you know, it's not the first time ESPN's been wrong. So, but either way, um, this this is cool for the game. I agree. Like, if they're able to bring the Spurs internationally, um, that'd be fun at some point too. Like, you really look at the scope of just French players in the NBA, and it's there are some notable guys. Obviously, there's Wemby. There is um, Rudy Gobert. I think Nick Batum is one of the more recent ones. And then you guys even have like Killian Hayes, who may not pan out in court in terms of his like draft projections but like he's still a french prospect that made it into the nba um tony parker is like one of the greatest examples in terms of just like one of the greatest french nba players of all time as well so it's cool just to see the nba kind of just have a bit of a foothold in a region where there are some pretty strong roots in their league um in terms of just like that common thread between the nba and uh france and yeah it's just as a frenchman i am biased wee wee but it's cool to see the Cavs kind of go onto that stage. All right, here, here, give me, give me a city, Evan. That if you were gonna pick another city that you would want an NBA game to be, and just give me, give me a city, give me a city that would be on your on your list. Adamstown and the Pitcairn, the Pitcairn Islands, uh, considered the most remote city in the world, with a resident of fifty six. Okay, people. see, see, now you're now you're just being you're just being obtuse for the sake of being obtuse. You're not being like. That that's okay. like what's the point of that? What's the well, point? Well, there's of that? also E2 Cora to Remit in Greenland, which is considered the northernmost city and looks stunning in terms of the views. But like, in all seriousness, um, I know Japan or Tokyo rather. They've done preseason games in Japan. They've done preseason games in China. Uh, I think India would be cool. Like if they did some preseason games in like India, whether it's like New Delhi or Bengal. Like there's India is one of the biggest countries in the world, and I think. There is a little bit of a connection of like Indian players, um, and just panning out in the like Simbular is like the most recent example I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's more recent examples, of course, but India would be a cool place to see. Plus, like it's just you know culturally, there's a lot of different ways you can go about this because like it's cool just to see these different like slices of the world on a geopolitical stage that we don't really get to kind of see perspective wise because we're kind of in our own little bubble in the United States. So yeah, I'm going to throw India out there. Just like as the nation of India, you can pick a spot. It's a heavily populated country to begin with. I think you're okay no matter where you end up, but India would be my pick. So you, it's good that you don't actually want to pick the country where there's like 50 people. That was just, I literally Googled most remote country or cities in the world and Adamstown Congratulations with your 56 residents. I'm going to see if this is how recent this is, but you know, uh, like do Delhi or Bengal. That'd be fun. All right. So here's my, f- I have five that I, I would throw in the list. Uh, I, have Oslo, others. I want to we... bounce it off you, but I saw your list. And I'm like, hmm. well, first off, Adamstown actually has 47 people as of January, 2020. So, but, um, Oslo doesn't surprise me riff on it. Yeah. I just want to go to, I just like Oslo. I would, for me, isn't to get to like that would that would just be cool. I like Oslo. Buenos Aires is on there because you have the Argentinian history with Manu Ginobili. You have 
a pipeline of NBA players to come from there. It's also South America. I think you could do there, like Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I think you could do something really cool. Um, then you go to Serbia, like the Serbian crowd you see. I'm sure people on like Instagram or TikTok have seen the clip of Nikola Jokic asking him about Putin. He's like, brother, I've played in Serbia. Those crowds are raucous and awesome and nothing like we have in the States. Sign me up for like a, a crazy game like that. See how people would react to it. I think that would be really cool. And obviously, like, let's go to Jokic's own country. Let's go to where the, the region of Europe where Luka Doncic and this pipeline of amazing Balkan NBA players has come from in the last 20 years. Like that, that sounds awesome to me. London, it's London. That's a European metropolis. And then let's go down under. Let's go to Melbourne. Or let's go to Sydney. There's a ton of Australian NBA players um, that have come in recent years. There's a pipeline of that for a long time now. There's more and more talent coming from there. That's just like another place. J- Japan would also be on the would be like my six. I was gonna say like another city. Be like let let's do a game in Tokyo. That would be that would be the other one to me. Uh, I actually have another one. Thinking about it just out loud because I thought. You, you, do you remember many many moons ago when? Um, I believe it was North Carolina and Michigan State, so like Harrison Barnes and Draymond Green to age this a little bit. But they played on the aircraft carrier in the bay in San Diego. Do you yeah. remember that? Like, yeah, I obviously those the college tournament. Yeah, yeah. Like optics wise, I just don't think that would ever work, especially in the NBA to get players to play outdoors. I was just thinking like, because again, I was scrolling through remote cities, and like one of the more remote cities is actually one of the best places to see the Northern Lights. I'm just like. Oh, that'd be cool. And then I'm scrolling further and like, oh, another good spot to see the Northern Lights is just British Columbia or Vancouver. And I'm like, the NBA going back to Vancouver would be kind of neat, especially if it was, I don't know how well received the Grizzlies would be considering they left. But based on just like what is publicly known, or at least what I can research, like the Grizzlies weren't like the most embraced team when they're in Vancouver. But it would be cool to see the NBA maybe embrace Canada a little bit more, maybe do a bit of a Canadian uh countrywide tour because i was talking to some folks who just like cover the raptors like the raptors are canada's team in terms of just like the nba but i think just like tapping into maybe that aspect of them being canada's team and letting them visit other locations other than toronto would be kind of cool to see all right up next we're gonna look ahead to next season a lot to think about a lot to, to dive into but we'll dive into that coming up after this Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, where you can take your first swing at betting MLB and FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount and bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. All of that, by the way, is on an app that is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet MLB on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, we're back here. Let's go to next season and look ahead mm-hmm. as far as things we're looking forward to. I mean, here's my first one. The offensive evolution that I think has to come based on the roster changes we've seen. I think particularly when you bring in Max Struess, when you bring in George Niang, and you bring in guys that just let it fly from three, and you bring in a guy like Struess in particular, who I think is probably going to start at the three and takes catch-and-shoot threes at an insanely high volume, one of the highest or just highest rates of catch-and-shoot three-point guys you have in the NBA right now. Your offensive thing is just going to look a little bit different, and I'm curious to see how they accommodate that spacing. 
Yeah, I am curious about those. I talked about this earlier in the week, um, just the lens of like Isaac Okoro's growth and development. Um, it's pretty clear the Cavs prioritize shooting this offseason, whether it's Struess, whether it's George Niang, um, Ty Jerome as well. And then you, know, you obviously have heavier hitters like uh, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland on your roster. Um, they do have two ro- open roster spots right now, so we can touch on that maybe a little bit. Maybe they go find like a cheap like bargain bin shooter just as like a break class in case of emergency. I, I, Sam Merrill's on the team as well, technically, so he falls in that list, just maybe at the very, very far ends of the rotation. But I am interested to see how the rotation itself fleshes out, because I agree with you. I, I said this on Monday's show, but Struess is for sure at least penciled in heading into camp in my eyes uh, as the starting small forward for the Cavs. I think maybe it's going to be a bit of a competition between him and Okoro because he does have the history of being the starting small forward and Bickerstaff knows him a bit better, but I just think the shooting upside alone is just too worthwhile and just him being that, him as in Struis being that fifth banana next to a starting five of Garland, Mobley, Mitchell and Allen, like that spacing is so key for a lot of what that team wants to do offensively. That just having him be him as in Struce again to be that guy to kind of unlock things to get the game going is going to be beneficial. And then I think that empowers Karis Levert, who I would assume is your six man. Yang is going to be in the rotation. Um, and then it's going to be a bit of a weird amalgamation of minutes because Bickerstaff is a creature of habit who likes to go eight or nine, ten player, eight or nine players deep. Never really goes 10, but I would imagine Rubio, Jerome, Okoro, maybe even Damian Jones is in the mix for some fringe minutes as well, too. And I'm curious to see how it all pans out. Do the Cavs sacrifice defense for more offensive bump, or do they try to stagger some of the minutes while keeping with some of the concepts and identities and schemes that were uh, functional and just kind of led to wins for them last year? I, I just, I think more than anything else, I don't think you're doing it right if you bring in someone like Max Roos who can shoot off of handoffs, who can come off the screens, who can shoot in, in a bunch of different ways. I just can't imagine there's a world where you are in a situation where he doesn't, even if he's not your number one lead option, if the way bringing him in doesn't change you a little bit. I That's what I, that more than what the rotation looks like, more than all of that, I think I can we can kind of guess it minute totals and in, in some of the lineups and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I think that's a little more predictable to me and easier to project out than, okay, how does the offense actually structurally change a little bit with with Struce in there to be someone that can give you something you just definitely you did not have from a skill set perspective last year. Yeah. And that's that's the thing with Max Struce and what he provides as like a core value. Like that that shooting aspect is so underrated and it's something the Cavs really really needed uh in the postseason and also heading into this season because i i have some questions like does karis levert sustain like this weird as he pointed out just like statistical anomaly where he shot way more threes than he did minis last year and does that continue or does levert kind of fall back into habits now that he's has some guaranteed money at least for the next two years under his belt so that's a curious thing like does Darius Garland take a leap? Does Donovan Mitchell kind of work through some of his uh, wrinkles and maybe some of the lumps that we saw really come become glaring uh, on the biggest stage against the Knicks? So I just truce what he does alleviates a lot of the pressure for some of these guys. And also it, it's just, it's so fascinating. Like I'm not saying like all the expectations and all the pressures on Max Struess's shoulders, but he is really a key piece in just unlocking so much for this Cavs team. 
especially if and i forgot to mention like even if evan mobley's shot like isn't there like he's not <laughs> hitting 38 percent of his three-pointers on like four attempts to open the season and he's still kind of a work in progress there having that shooting depth and dimension that Struz provides and also niang and jerome as well like it's criminally underrated in just how the Cavs function as a semi-antiquated team that is looking to add modern touches on the edges. If Evan Mobley showed up to making four threes a game and shooting 38%, we're putting him in all NBA. No, no, no. 38.9% on four attempts per game, I should say. Either way, Even we're then, still putting him. That's, we're putting him. That's we're putting huge. him in all, we're, yeah, we're putting him in all NBA team if he goes from... Let me see what he was shooting from three last year. That That would be like... That that's like an insane leap. Even if he, I, I would even just say if he's thirty three percent on like two a game, like that would be like that's. But that's what I'm saying. Like he needs like, unless like he has like a pretty insane leap, like he's gonna be a bit of a work in progress still as a perimeter shooter. And like you gotta, you gotta find sources elsewhere to kind of supplement it. I'm just imagining him going from one point three threes a game to like almost five a game, and, sh- and going from twenty one point six percent to like thirty eight percent. That would be just like we're we're putting him all NBA. That's where we're at. If that happens, we'll talk about Mobley in the third segment. But that would be like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I. That would be one of like the biggest five NBA stories in the league. If that were what, what happened with Mobley, or even if he took that many a game, that would be, that would be wild. I, I it would be. I don't think my brain could compute that. Um. Quick on Niang, I I would say just with that, I'm curious to I really am curious to see Evan how much they try to play him at the three and or if they do just treat him as a four. That is an interesting like thought. I'm because he does have that weird tweener status where he's functional as a shooter. Um, but yeah, he could be a three. He could be a four. That just goes solely next to Mobley and Allen or one of Mobley or Allen, and then maybe there are lineups where, like, the Cavs go really big. Like, let's say, shoot, Karis LeVert at the one, um, Struess at the two, just because there's a little bit of size difference there. Then you go, like, Niang, Mobley, Allen, just go, like, extra, extra beefy. Like, that could be a fun lineup, but do the Cavs feel comfortable enough putting Niang as a three and maybe being kind of picked on by the stronger perimeter threats that some teams possess? All right, after this, let's talk about Evan Mobley, the excitement of him for next season, and what the evolution might be. Evan, when you think about Evan Mobley's next season, what's the first thing that you are intrigued to see, that you are looking forward to see what it looks like on opening night? Not in the preseason when it's like half speed sometimes. It feels like opening night. Everything's on the table. What are you most excited to see with Evan Mobley when we get to next season? Well, maybe not even opening night just because it's hard to get a full litmus test of it. Let's say a couple weeks into the season. Heck, maybe even in this regular season tournament, like the Cavs end up trying to be competitive in that. Like, do we have enough data to say that Evan Mobley is comfortable handling the offense? Because I am team handle, but I am leaning towards team shot as well when it comes to Mobley. But, like, he's so still trying to find his way offensively as a player that I'm curious to see what is the, I'm curious to see what is the big change or addition he makes. Cause defensively I'm more than confident in saying he's fine, but like, does he follow more of like a Giannis path than just like completely focus on getting bulked up and maybe just being like a defensive monster that has not much of a perimeter shooting game, but can give you a little bit of everything else on offense and just also just be like a dynamic threat in offense. 
or do the Cavs kind of zag a little bit and just let him follow his own trajectory where maybe it's more like an Anthony Davis or maybe even like a Brooke Lopez as well, where it's a little bit more leaning towards like three point shooting and less so on the handle. Like I, I want to see what Mobley is and people who listen to the show a lot probably get sick of hearing me say this, but like, I, I like to have like a substantial slice of data, like make a jump on it, but it's year three. We have to figure out what Evan Mobley can be as a player. Can he make a jump on offense to maybe leapfrog one of Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland to be like the second offensive threat in this team? Or is he comfortable being the third guy who sometimes floats between third and fourth, depending on the kind of night Jared Allen's having? Yeah, one of the the things that I think with Mobley that I think will be really telling is how strong he looks. I, I think if he shows up and we see him kind of handling some of the five stuff and we see him absorbing some of that, I think that level up will be interesting because I think that unlocks some other ways you could play. That's going to give mm-hmm. you more minutes for... That will give you more room for Nyang and Struess and Levert, maybe for Okoro if you want to get really small. And I think last year showed us that Moby at the five is a really successful way to build out lineups. Um, and it was also notable last year that he really settled in as, as a really... Really, really good lob guy is a really, really mm-hmm. good um, lob threat, especially with Darius Garland. He it wasn't like a full superseding Jared Allen, but like there was a little bit of that there, and in, in, in the overlap favored Mobley. And I'm also curious to see how he handles the short roll a little bit this year. That was to me an area in the playoffs where he looked a little bit overwhelmed. And if this is someone who evolves in that spot in year three and is more comfortable in that spot, there, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot on the table there for him to cook. Yeah, there definitely is. I the point about him feeling more comfortable maybe this is part of the path where he bulks up and just becomes even more shredded i don't think like he's gonna get like like massive massive like he's not gonna be like kendrick perkins big or something like that coming in the next season but like if he just becomes more toned and just much more solid and i think also just handles that new like level of strength to not uh foul often like i think that's gonna be a bit of a learning curve for him too just because if he's getting bigger as a player like he's gonna have to become comfortable in his body but the small, not the small ball, because if the Cavs do view him as a five long term, but the small ball lineups you can put around him do make some fun wrinkles for the Cavs, because when Allen was out with that eye laceration, they played Mobley at the five almost exclusively at times. Like, there was a lot, there was a bit of an offensive jump. Like, it was only a handful of games. So, like, you notice, like, yeah, the Cavs were running a lot more in fast break. They were doing a lot more just, like, fast break stuff in general. Um... I know Alan noted, like, he when he came back from the injury, he's just like, yeah, big guys don't really like to run so much because they're too busy covering cards defensively as, like, a bit of a joke. But Mobley's interesting in the fact that, like, he is comfortable getting out on the fast break. And also maybe that is, like, as you said, like, a way to unlock not just, like, different lineups, but also maybe, hey, does Evan Mobley act as the initiator on the fast break? Does he feel comfortable enough dribbling up in transition and kicking the ball ahead to his streaking like a Coro? Or maybe he finds Max Struess strengths to the perimeter, even Ty Jerome as well. Like, there's a lot of ways you could explore this, and yeah, Mobley at the five could be fun. Maybe that it. Uh, again, he's such like a fascinating player because I don't want to say like what he can be as a finished pro- prospect because I don't know what he can be as a finished prospect. But we'll have a pretty better understanding of maybe what he will be long term, just based on like his tentpole growth because just because again it's tried and true but like year three is usually your players have like a bit of a leap professionally and you start to get a clear picture of maybe what their overall potential is as a player too give me one last thing you're looking forward to for next season we'll do a lot more of these as we get closer and do season preview mm-hmm. stuff but, but give me something else you're looking forward to uh the backup 
or the fourth guard in the rotation? Because you'd assume it's obviously Mitchell, Garland, Levert. Do they lean on Ricky Rubio to start the year, or do they look at Ty Jerome and say, okay, you're a combo guard, but you don't, you know how to run an offense to some basic ability, but you have that shooting bump. Rubio just doesn't currently. So, what does that look like? And also, how just to go hand in hand with that, like how deep does JV go into his rotation? Because the Cavs did add some depth this um off season like how do they figure this all out or does do we see a little bit more of the same with some slight changes sprinkled in to open the year i'm going to give you a guess right now of the the rotation i'm just going to look at this and riff live and we're going to figure out what not in terms of minutes and starters but like i'm just going to give you the 10 guys donovan mitchell darius garland max Struess, evan mm-hmm. mobley jared allen Karis Levert, George Nang, Ricky Rubio, maybe Okoro is the ninth, and that leaves Dean Wade on the fringe. That leaves Damian Jones on the fringe. I think they'll get minutes from. I think both of them could get minutes from time to time. I think gives Ty Jerome is kind of on the inside looking out a little bit. Um, I I think it could some of this could be matchup dependent, and I like I don't really see a path. It's for, you know, like I don't think Bates is going to play as a rookie. I I don't think. They're gonna Isaiah Moby's gonna play much. Like I, I think it's kind of those guys as of right now. I don't think Sam Merrill's gonna play very much. No, and I know people are making the case for Sam Merrill. Um, I talked about this on the show actually, as I was like kind of closing the book on summer league. Um, Merrill does present a need for the Cavs, like or he does answer a need that's currently on the Cavs in terms of shooting. But you brought in two shooters that'll definitely be in your rotation. We agree on that with uh, Struess and Yang. And then, like, you even have Ty Jerome, you have Mitchell, you have Garland, you even have Levert, who may have a bit of a bump, too. Like, there's just a lot of dudes ahead of um, Sam Merrill. Like, he's a guy who is too good for the G League, probably not good enough to be a consistent member of an NBA rotation, but is a guy where if you have injuries or you want to give guys a night off, like, I think he'd be comfortable giving you 20, 25 minutes in that, in that stretch, just playing in for somebody else's minutes for a 48-minute game. But... Rotation-wise, we'll do this live, like you said. I think uh, we agree on the starting five, so I'll just save time on that. I think it'll be Levert, Nyang. I lean towards a Koro as that eighth man, just because you maybe having some shooting around him makes him a little easier to work with and work out those wrinkles. Plus, point-of-attack defense is his greatest attribute. You may need that some nights. Um, and then that ninth spot, I think they go Rubio to open the season, but if Rubio still just doesn't look right, or if like he really muddles up lineups because of the lack of shooting threat that he provides, like you look more towards Jerome in that spot. And at that point, I just think like the ninth man could be, as you said, like it could be based on need, like, are they playing a bigger team? Maybe Damian Jones gets those minutes that evening, or do they want to play a bigger team that provide, but they have enough size with Mobley and Allen, but they want to add a little bit more size, but also have that shooting touch. Yeah, maybe Dean Wade if a shot is still there, but it's it's clunky. Uh, like, the Cavs probably have eight dudes that I feel pretty comfortable in saying will be playing for them to start the season just on a consistent night-to-night basis, but when you start to expand things out a bit, like, you can make an argument for a lot of those guys, but it's not, like, really an argument that it's worth getting blue in the face over, because this is a guy that's going to get 10, 15 minutes a night at most. Let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Dermo. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for producing Back At You Tomorrow. We're going to talk about Cavs Summer League guys, so Travers, Bates, Mobley, Craig Porter Jr. And not just look at next year, but we're going to look three years out. Who is most likely to be a rotation guy 
Not in the immediate future, but in the near future. Join in into that tomorrow. Talk to you then.